Of course, we have just sung together a portion of the 89th Psalm to the old Scottish psalm tune, Bishop Thorpe. I ask, if you will, to open your Bibles to the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 5. And will you pray with me before we read? Our Father, as we see in this passage, the Lord Jesus heals a demoniac, casts out demons. And we know that He can do that because our Savior is the Lord. He is the Lord over all things at all times. There is nothing outside of His control. Even those things that seem to us to be out of control He is in sovereign control. It gives to us great encouragement to know and to remember that if the Lord God sent His Son into the world to save sinners, and He can save this man indwelt by demons, He can save anyone. He can save individuals. He can deliver cultures from confusion and destruction We, Lord, turn our minds and hearts' attention to Him, away from all of the distractions of this world, away from all of the things that perhaps have claimed and clamored for our attention this week. And we pray that we might be enabled to concentrate, not on sound bites, but exposition of the Word of God, and that we would expect to meet thee here because the Lord has promised to indwell the praises of his people and Christ is the ultimate preacher of all truth as the minister of the word expounds holy scripture and may this word go deep within the hearts of thy people and we also pray for the lost who here or elsewhere may hear the word of God proclaimed Hear of Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. We pray for salvation, and we plead for revival, genuine revival in the church, in our land, that it may spill over into our culture, should it please Thee, with massive conversions. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Please take your copy of God's Word and stand the fifth chapter of Mark's Gospel. This is the Word of God. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. 
For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. People of God. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we read, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. The king has come with authority over wind and waves, over the demonic realm, and as Mark later shows, even over death. And when Jesus came to inaugurate his kingdom, there was an acceleration of demonic activity. Jesus, however, is king overall, including the demonic. We see first in this text, total bondage, total bondage. This takes in especially verses 1 through 5. We have here a man. He's not an animal. He is a man. God's image bearer, so under Satan's control that he acts like an animal. Now living among the tombs, how fallen is man that he can even be possessed by demons. He is a total slave, completely in darkness, dominated by what the Greek text calls an unclean spirit. He has no self-control. Others attempted to bind him so that he would not harm himself, but with demonic strength, he would simply break his bonds. He is hopeless, he is helpless, he is bent on self-destruction. He cut himself. That's a possible indication of involvement in pagan worship, because that was a tendency in paganism. His home was in the tombs among the dead. That was his environment, death. Proverbs 21, 16, the man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. His character was a fierce character. Perhaps those who 
told about the man could point to the fragments of fetters that were lying on the ground that he simply had snapped like thread. We have two participles here, the word krodzon, that means crying, and the word katakoptone, that means cutting, crying. It's a present participle meaning ongoing crying. He was regularly, ongoingly crying, crying aloud. Probably here it means he was shrieking in the midst of the tombs. And he was cutting himself. The Greek word means to cut down or to cut to pieces. So you have to envision this man with cuts all over himself from the stones that he would pick up and, and use. Sin, sin truly dehumanizes. And this points to the fallen condition of humanity. Perhaps not so overtly, but we're, we are also living Uh, among the dead in our natural estate before coming to faith in Christ. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in trespasses and sins, and even when there may be more self-control and morality, nonetheless, this is the heart of fallen man. One need not be possessed of the devil to be a child of the devil. So mark it down. Verse 5 shows us that Satan's agenda is to distort, disfigure, destroy, all that it means to be created in God's image. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. In his thinking, in his feeling, in his music, in his art, in his philosophy, in his work, in his play, in his relationships, and in our inner lives... The evil one's aim is to turn man's image bearer into a bearer of his ugly, rebellious image. So I ask you, is there hope? My friend, so bound are we by sin that if we come to the Lord, it is because he has come to us, and that is our hope, our only hope. And we see, secondly, therefore, Jesus' authority over the demoniac and over the demons. Verses 6 through 8, Jesus' authority over the demonic. And although the man runs to Jesus and falls on his knees, it is clear from the context that the man is under the control of the demons. This anticipates the day that is coming when the demonic host will kneel before the exalted Christ. In verse 7, we see that the demon, it will become plain that we're dealing with many, but the many as one, raises his voice in self-defense. Verse 7 reads, And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And, of course, they're right in referring to Jesus as the Son of God. The demons understood what many a liberal theologian doesn't, what many a person in our own culture does not. As you read Mark, Mark wants you to adopt their point of view. This is the Son of God. This is God in the flesh, though, of course, not with the demonic attitude, but with saving faith. What about you? Do you know and understand that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you know and understand that God has revealed himself in his word, that he is God in the flesh, God incarnate, who has come to destroy the works of the devil and to save sinners like you and me? Do you know this to be true? Something that J. Gresham Machen recommended that I would recommend to you, 
and that is to take the Gospels, maybe especially the fast-moving Gospel of Mark. And if you do not know the Lord, spend time in it, read it rapidly as if you've never read it before. Perhaps you never have read the Gospel of Mark. It might even be the first time. And the total impression that you are left with will be the impression, there's no way that this cannot be true. And that is certainly something that I would commend to you. You know, I just saw in the Ligonier State of Theology survey that came out this September 2020, and it states that 52% of adults in America hold that Jesus was only a great teacher, that he is not God in the flesh. Now, that didn't surprise me. What is really disturbing is the fact that according to their survey, 30% of evangelicals, those calling themselves evangelical Christians, now agree with the statement, Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. What has happened in our evangelical churches? Where is the preaching of the deity of Christ? Where is the preaching of the whole counsel of God? Where is the preaching of the gospel? Evangelicals, this is alarming. Well, in verse 7, please note, they know who Jesus is. And notice also that a concomitant of that knowledge is fear. They fear because they know who Jesus is, because he is God incarnate. They know that the inauguration of his redemptive kingdom means the beginning of the end of the kingdom of darkness. Herman Ritterboss put it this way, for the exercise of God's power over the devil has the coming of the kingdom for its foundation. The coming of the kingdom is the initial stage of the great drama of the history of the end. And these demons know this is spelling the end for them. They know their ultimate fate. Fate, reserved in chains of darkness, Jude chapter 6, being cast into the lake of fire that burns forever, Revelation chapter 20, verse 10. And in response of the demons we see the drama of the history of redemption. Philippians 2.10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. Yes, on that day, all men and all angels and all of the fallen angels, all of the demonic will kneel before Christ Jesus, the Lord. Now, verse 8 makes it plain that the demons know that they must leave. And this is a sign of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, that is, of the power of redemption for sinners and the nations. Life must change because a new Lord rules and reigns, and the saving reign of the Lord has come. Now, Christian, I ask, does this not thrill your heart that everything here is about the power of Jesus? Everything here is about the lordship of your Savior that he is the master, that he is the king. Listen, there are two kingdoms, and there are two kings. One, a dark kingdom, the other, a kingdom of light. One with a malevolent master, the other with a benevolent. One who is out to destroy, the other who saves and heals. One who hates, the other who loves. And the call is for conversion to deliverance from the kingdom of darkness to that of light, that there must be a transition from wrath to grace. Now, hear that. There must be a transition from wrath to grace. 
whether it is this demoniac, this one that is, that is possessed of demons, or whether it is those in the world that are nonetheless under the power of the devil, influenced by the demonic. Jesus came and took the penalty of our sin, as we know as believers, because we were under the wrath of Almighty God, and there must be application of the salvation wrought by Christ to our hearts. There must be a real transition, let me repeat, a real transition from wrath to grace. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 3, except ye be converted, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Are you converted? Have you been converted? And young people, especially, let me apply this to you very directly. You young people in this congregation, most of whom are baptized children, some of you have made profession of faith in Christ, and the mark of the kingdom of light is upon you. Baptism doesn't save, but it's not an unimportant thing that you are a part of the ministry of this ongoing preaching of the gospel, and you are not your own, and true freedom is not living as you please. True freedom is living as He pleases. Let us search our hearts. If we profess to be in Christ's kingdom, is it showing? Is it showing where we put our minds? Is it showing where we set our affections? Is it showing in what we cherish in our hearts? Is it showing how we critique others? Is it showing in our, in our refusal to amalgamate with culture? The king has come, and he demands total loyalty. And that is what we call discipleship. Is there something in your life that the king, even as Christ himself preaches his word through his ambassador, is there something in your life that the king is saying to you even now, because I belong to Christ, that thing must go, and this must come in its place. Life cannot be the same because the king has come. Then we see thirdly, Jesus' deliverance of the demon-possessed man. And this takes in verses 9 through 13. Jesus asks, what is your name? The answer that is given is legion. Now, what did this mean? Does it mean that there were between four to 6,000 demons? That's certainly possible. They go into 2,000 pigs, but Many demons could possess the body of a pig. A legion is between four and 6,000. Uh, was he evading a clear answer? Joachim Jeremias, New Testament scholar, said that the demons give their true name. It is soldier. Well, what is certain is that the man is tormented by a large number of demons who seem to combine forces as one. We are as Christians engaged in stern conflict and shall be victorious because Christ is greater, infinitely greater than the enemy of our souls. And when Christ enters the field, the enemy trembles because he is in sovereign control. We, we see in our culture today rebellion and, and, and youth and adults that that hate authority, and we see the burning of buildings and the pulling down of statues. Yes, this is sin, but it's also, also the demonic. We know what is behind it. We know who ultimately is behind these things in our culture. 
Christ is in control. Now, there are pigs in the area. I remember one well-known philosopher making the statement that he could not be a Christian, and one reason was the destruction of the pigs. He couldn't follow a Savior who would destroy the pigs. What excuses men will come up with for rebelling against Christ? What did the demons want when they asked to go into the pigs? What were they after? Well, it was better than hell. The time of the end has not yet come, but they know that the one with whom they're dealing has the right to judge them at any time. Perhaps also they want to cause havoc in God's creation. Perhaps they want to raise the anger and ire of the local populace against Christ. Inevitably, they want to keep some kind of outpost there. Whatever they want, it's for evil intent because they can only do evil. Let us go into the pigs. This is a Gentile area. They're pigs. But let's stress that Satan has no power in Jesus' presence. No power in Jesus' presence. They understand Jesus' mission. And anticipated here is the day in which they will be judged And you will have a part in that judgment. Do you know that? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Know ye not that we, speaking to the Christians, we shall judge angels? And of course he means fallen angels, the demonic. You will participate in that judgment one of these days. So why did Jesus allow the demons to go into the herd of swine? Well, very probably, Jesus is demonstrating to those who are there and to all of us who now read, he is demonstrating what the demons intended for the man that they possessed. That is what they intended for this man and for others affected by him? Total destruction? Their purpose for men is not one bit different than the madness to which they drove the pigs. Living in the satanic will drive a person morally mad. So we'd better come to grips with the fact that when we go our way, we're really going Satan's way, that his aim is to destroy you. His goal is to destroy God's creatures, to obliterate the image of God. This is what he attempts to do in inspiring wicked men to put Jesus on the cross. But even then, God was in full control. The cross was no accident. It was decreed by God. And nothing can stop God's purpose to see his image and all creation completely restored. Now, did you notice the participles there in verse 15, as we read earlier? And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Participles are sitting, clothed, and in his right mind, or restored. What a contrast Mark intends for us to see, a picture of redemption and conversion and restoration. Previously, chains could not hold the man. A dark, wicked master had chained his soul, and now he sits and he's at complete rest. The gospel has brought peace into his heart. He had been naked, now he is clothed. His humanity is now restored. As Calvin put it, 
Though we are not tormented by the devil, yet he holds us slaves till the Son of God delivers us from his tyranny, naked, torn, and disfigured. We wander about till he de- in, until he restores us to soundness of mind. And look at God's recreative power. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. Do you remember how the Apostle Paul puts this when he says, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 6. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world, small g, speaking of the evil one, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And what he is saying is that the same God who spoke, let there be light and there was light, continues to speak with recreative power into the darkened hearts of men, let there be light. And when God speaks that into the soul, there is light. There's recreative power, and we are in our right mind. Luke tells us about this passage in Luke 8:35 that not only was he restored and in his right mind, but he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, which is just where I hope you and I want to be. So pictured here is beauty and order and sanity that will come at the end of the age, but is now really experienced by the people of God now. Those around him had given up on him. They thought that he was beyond help, but he is not because there is no one who is beyond the power of Jesus Christ to save and convert and restore. I was reading some Spurgeon again the other day. This is from the Forgotten Spurgeon, a quote from Spurgeon, in which there are those who are saying, he'll never convert me, never me. Spurgeon says, there are some here who are laughing at salvation, who scoff at Christ and mock at the gospel, but I tell you, some of you shall come yet. What you say, can God make me to become a Christian? I tell you, yes, for herein rests the power of the gospel. It does not ask your consent, but it gets it. It does not say, will you have it? But it makes you willing in the day of God's power. The gospel wants not your consent. It gets it. It knocks the enmity out of your heart. You say, I do not want to be saved. Christ says, you shall be. He makes your will turn around. And then you cry, Lord, save or I perish. Ah, might heaven exclaimed, I knew I would make you say that. And then he rejoices over you because he has changed your will and made you willing in the day of his power. If Jesus Christ were to stand on this platform tonight, what would many people do with him? If he were to come and say, here I am, I love you, will you be saved by me? Not one of you would consent if you were left to your will. He himself said, no man can come to me except the Father who hath sent me draw him. Ah, we want that, and here we have it. 
they shall come, they shall come. Ye may laugh, ye may despise us, but Jesus Christ shall not die for nothing. If some of you reject him, there are some that will not. If there are some that are not saved, others shall be. Christ shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. They shall come, and not in heaven, nor in earth, nor in hell can stop them from coming. That was this man. He didn't even ask to be saved, but Christ saved him. But now let's see, fourthly, a tragic misuse of privilege. Look with me at verses 14 through 17. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Imagine the excitement. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Listen to that. Jesus has come. He's healed this man. He's removed the demonic. He's no longer under the possession of demons. And what they, they want Christ to leave. Here we have in mind the response of the townspeople. This was a very severe blow to their economy. That was their idol. Great loss of property. A.T. Robertson said they cared more for hogs than for human souls as often happens today. Hogs may have other names, of course. Yes, their thought seems to be, Jesus is fine as long as he doesn't mess with my business, as long as he doesn't mess with my personal life. And so, in verse 15, They came to Jesus, saw the demon-possessed man. There he was, clothed in his right mind. It seems to reflect upon Jesus' disturbing presence. Because you see, holiness, and he was completely holy and sinless and undefiled, holiness both repels and attracts. To those whom God is calling, holiness attracts. To those whom he is not calling, to those who are left in their sins, holiness repels. And so they're talking about beginning life, living life, taking their point of departure from within their own frame of reference, their own autonomy. So where do you fit as we study this narrative? In thinking through this, remember the words of the French Reformed pastor Adolphe Monod, there is no peace for the man who takes his point of departure from within himself. And they would rather have the devil and his works than Jesus. How fallen are we that we would rather have our sin and our way than Jesus. So what about us? What do you want more than Jesus? You unconverted that may be listening. Talk about an abuse of privilege. They were privileged. How many here may be privileged? How many of our young people, our children are privileged? And the saddest way to go to hell is, after, is, is hearing the word, Lord's Day after Lord's Day, and, and coming in and sitting in church pews. 
Do not abuse the privilege. And now contrast the form of demoniac with the the populace. I'm thinking of verses 18 through 20. This is the fifth thing to see, evidence of conversion. The man has an opportunity right where he is to spread the good news. He wants to be with Jesus. He wants to leave and go with Jesus. He wants to learn from Jesus. He wants to become more in his right mind and what he needs to be by being with Jesus. What a wonderful change has come over the man that he wants to be with Jesus and he wants to make him known. And do you see this as a missionary text? The foundation has been laid for the gospel to be proclaimed in Decapolis to the Gentiles in this Gentile area. And so Christ would have him remain there and tell others about what God has done. To be, as some old writer said, Christ's curate in Decapolis. Who needed the message of Jesus more than those who wanted Jesus to leave? So you and I have a message to tell. And God has given his church not a sword but a towel, not political power but a message. And Rome was conquered by the proclamation, he is risen, he is Lord. Our weapon against all that would destroy God's creation and distort humanity against all injustice and against corruption is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And verse 20 simply takes my heart. Does it yours? And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Everyone marveled. Imagine he went to them. I can't even describe to you, I'm sure he must have said, what was going on in my mind. I, 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 can't, I can't fathom it. I I, I was possessed by complete darkness and wickedness, and now everything is light, and the world is different, and I, I know God. And everyone marveled. Look at what this man had been and now what he is. They marveled and did marvel. It's an imperfect indicative, which means it continued to marvel. They could not get over it. And that leads to our missionary calling, the sixth thing, our call to proclaim Christ. We are called as the church to preach and each individual Christian to speak for and live for Christ in a very dark world. And our worldview would be very far from the Bible and most unwise if we did not, if we did not acknowledge the realm of darkness. What a day it will be to see the demonic host cast into the lake of fire. Yes, we should rejoice in anticipating that day. That is a good thing to anticipate and long for. Have you ever thought that from one perspective, Jesus' entire ministry in this world, in his incarnate life in this world, was an exorcism of the devil? In Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. In John 12, 31, as he anticipates the cross, he says, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. In 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. But if our focus 
is on the demons and the demonic, we've missed the whole point. Jesus stilling the sea in Mark. Jesus raising the dead in Mark. Why was all of this revealed? So that the question would be raised, who is this? Who is this that can still the waves? Who is this that can raise the dead? Who is this that can restore the demoniac? So the question of the text is to raise this question, who is Jesus? Who is this? And notice again the language of verses 19 and 20. And he did not permit him, that is to go with him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and became, began to proclaim in Decapolis how much the Lord had done for him and everyone marveled. How great things the Lord hath done for thee the great things Jesus had done for him. What Jesus did for the man, God did for the man because Jesus is God become man. So it is true, as someone has somewhere written, Jesus' miracle is the expression of God's pity. And there are no limits to gospel proclamation. Not just Jews, but here in Decapolis, Gentiles as well. Jesus can go anywhere, can do anything, can even save Gentiles. God can save to the uttermost all who come to God through him. He went to the cross for our sins and there he bound the strong man and Jesus can free sinners from the possession of demons so that the demons are dispossessed. Jesus can take you from the tombs. Jesus can deliver you from death and darkness. Jesus can raise the dead. Jesus can turn sinners into saints. Jesus can make the unrighteous righteous. Jesus can make the unholy holy. And if you despair, others can be saved but not me. Just look at this man. Your sins may be legion, but Jesus can as powerfully forgive sinners as he can cast out demons. Why? How? Because he did the hard thing of going to the cross and purchasing sinners to himself and casting out the evil one. Remember the words of Robert Trail? There is more grace in the promise than there can be of sin and misery in the man that pleads it. Now, people of God, later in Mark chapter 9, there's another casting out of a demon. There's a pitiful scene of a man's son that is totally under the control of this demon. No one else can help, but Jesus can. This young man, this boy, is completely helpless. This is the father to whom Jesus said, all things are possible to him that believeth. The man replied, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And J. Gresham Machen, in his great book, What is Faith, points to this salient issue. Faith is born when we have a sense of need. Faith is born when we have a sense of need. 
And Machen says, the man who is under the conviction of sin can accept the supernatural, for he knows that there is an adequate occasion for its entrance into the course of the world. There's Machen in 1925 writing in, in a situation in which the churches are being, are being permeated with modern liberalism, classical modernism, consciousness theology it was called, in this viewpoint that there was no supernatural. He says the reason for that, you don't see your sense of need. If ever you see your sense of need, you will see that there's an adequate reason for the supernatural to penetrate this world. Do you? Do you see your need? The man's faith was weak, but we are not justified on the basis of our faith. We are justified through faith in Christ. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you. Rather, it is the strength of the Christ in whom you believe that saves you. And this is the way of peace with God. And all through this room, and others listening by live stream, all through this room there are people for whom the Lord in sovereign pity has shown the liberating power of the kingdom of God. And you should know the good news that the Lord has come and can do, He can do this for any sinner. The kingdom of God has arrived because Christ the King has come. And thank God, he has come to destroy the work of the devil. Do not allow your mind and heart in this present evil age and in times of increased darkness to be submerged also in darkness. Do not allow your minds and hearts to forget for a moment who is in control Do not forget for a moment that through it all, Christ is accomplishing his purpose of saving to himself a multitude which no man can number. Christ the King has come, and he has come to destroy the work of the devil. Amen and amen.